the bottom of the torso, skin. And moving to the hips, buttocks, skin. And then into the upper legs, skin. The lower legs, skin. And then feeling, sensing, being aware of, simply knowing the skin of the ankles and feet, toes, skin. And then moving into the flesh of both feet, of the toes and both feet, feel the flesh that's right here, feel it, sense it, be aware of it, simply knowing there is flesh here. Moving into the lower legs, flesh. And the upper legs, flesh. the buttocks and hips, flesh. And then shifting into the torso, lower part of the torso, flesh. and the upper part of the torso, flesh. And shifting to both hands, the fingers and the hands, flesh. The lower arms and upper arms, flesh. And the top of the torso, the shoulders and top of the torso, flesh. And moving from the shoulders into the neck, flesh. And then the flesh of the head, cheeks, tongue, jowls, brain, flesh.
and then moving to the structure of the body, the skeleton, starting from the head, being aware of the bone that's here, the skull, jaw, teeth, bone. And then the bones that start to come down the back of the neck from the spine, the top of the spine, bone. And then the bones of the shoulder. And then from the shoulder, moving down both arms into the bone of the arms, bone. And then including the bones of the wrists and the hands, fingers, bone. And from the shoulders, bones of the torso, chest and breast bones, the ribs, bone. And the bone of the spine as it moves down and enlarges gradually from the neck all the way to the pelvis, bone. Feeling the bone, sensing it, being aware of it, or simply knowing there is bone here. Then the hip bones, and the bones of the legs, Moving down from the hips, the upper legs, lower legs, bone. And then the ankles and the many bones of the feet, bone. And sensing the whole body, beginning with the bones, skeleton that's sitting here, and the flesh, that 
surrounds the bones, is interspersed in between the bones. And the skin that encompasses the bones and the flesh so that we begin to develop an embodied awareness that is aware of this body sitting here, the first foundation of mindfulness. And then very gently scanning the body again, being aware of the elements of the body, the earth element that is part of us or we are part of the earth. We come out of the earth, characterized by the hardness or solidity of the bones you can just sense the earth element in the whole body. And then include the water element, the fluids of the body, the fluidity, the cohesiveness of body, which is character, it characterizes the water element. And the fire element characterized by warmth or highlighted by cool coolness. And the, and the relaxation that comes, the softening that comes when we're warm enough cooked. And of course, the last element is the wind element. Uh, expansion, contraction, the movement of the wind characterized by our life's breath. and paying attention to this breath that keeps us alive moment by moment by moment.
and let your awareness of the breathing be very consistent, very dedicated in a relaxed way. And then beginning to, to know that this could be our last breath. Even as we're staying very ardent and mindful, aware of this, our life's breath, we're also aware that this could be the last breath. None of us knows when that will happen. And so we're including the charnel ground contemplations, the contemplation of death, along with the embodiment, the aliveness. Holding that very gently, very lightly recognizing that this could be our last breath and relaxing with each out breath. knowing that even if it isn't our last in-breath, that it, every breath brings us one breath closer. Part of the natural reality for living beings who breathe. And we'll very simply include the other foundations of mindfulness, the Vedna of the moment of the breath, noticing if it's pleasant or unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant, neutral. And of course, noticing that about any part of our experience, our sensations, our body. And then as we include the third foundation, the mind and heart, of course, including our feelings, emotions, thoughts. And of course, we'll notice if they're pleasant or unpleasant or neutral in a very relaxed way without having to really search for anything. Letting the Dharma reveal itself with your mindful presence. And of course, we've included the fourth foundation. So you'll notice if any of the hindrances are present, 
there's any desire or aversion to anything that's happening. There's any sleepiness or restlessness that's here. Or if you're having any doubt about your practice or what you're doing or the teachings themselves, including that in the field of what's ardent, fully aware and mindful. And often when the hindrances are in abeyance, you can begin to notice the other component of the fourth foundation that we're going to be looking at tonight, which is the factors of awakening to see if they're here or absent. Right. There's some investigation, energy, joy in your practice, being curious about what's here and feeling alive to it and enjoying it. Whatever it is, enjoying the mindful presence or the other three components of the wings of the seven factors. If you start to feel tranquil or centered with a samadhi-like center or balanced, the equanimity component. And you don't have to search for any of this. Usually you'll notice it when it's here. There'll be a tranquility or a calm or an ease that catches your attention. And there'll be some joy in simply being present here in the moment. Or there'll be curiosity and an investigative kind of sense of discovery of what is this without even asking a question or thinking about the answer. And of course, mindfulness will balance it all so that we can simply be here now, whatever is happening, whether the Vedana is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, or if we like or don't like the experience. Letting yourself be very 
present, relaxed, open, awake to whatever is happening now.
I'd like to keep encouraging everyone to practice now in this more relaxed way of seeing what it's like to stay embodied and aware of the fact that you're here and looking at a screen probably for most of you. Uh, and uh, you could include all of the practice right now. You could be aware of what's pleasant, what's unpleasant, what's neutral, whether it's your thoughts or your feelings or the image on the screen, could be anything, right? Um, uh, yeah. And uh, uh, apologies, I think. I had a little problem with the, um, with the audio. Was I cutting in and out? Was that yes or no? Did I cut in and out some? No, a little, okay, yes, somebody's saying, yeah. Yeah, a little of both, okay, yeah. No, there was something got uh, screwed up on my computer, and so I kept thinking I, w I was um, live, but it was muted. So sorry about that. You might miss the best, best instructions, but I did the best I could. So, um, and a little bit as I gave the instruction, this is what I don't know. I went through where we've been, so I'm going to say it again quickly, right? Remember, we started with the principles of mindfulness, what it is to be fully aware, ardent, fully aware and mindful, right? Or ardent, clearly knowing and mindful. And then to look at the and then to keep seeing the refrain and what the Buddha was pointing at for all the teachings, whether it's about the body or Vedana or mind-heart or even the, the, the Dhammas, he kept, the refrain keeps coming back over and over of this principle. It's all about the, the potential to not to cling to anything in the world. And that's what the practice is about, not clinging to anything in the world. And, uh, and of course, then we went through the first foundation of mindfulness, skin, flesh, bones, and the breath, and the breath that keeps us alive, and the, the section of the first foundation about Maranasati, which is mindfulness of death. And then the second foundation, which is Vedana, the pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant components of every experience. Pleasant, unpleasant, or, or neutral. Every experience has one of those flavors to them, one of those tastes. And then the third foundation, being aware of the mind and heart, of emotions and feelings and moods and thoughts and memories and plans, and, and also starting to see what's aware of it all when we're aware of the third foundation, chitta, mind-heart. And then the fourth foundation, we're looking at the dharmas, the teachings of the Buddha or the teachings that come from all phenomena, right? The, the truth that can be revealed through any phenomena. And, uh, and then the specific teachings of the Buddha, which we looked at last week, the hindrances. And then there are other components of that we're not gonna go through in this, in this class, but have to do with the aggregates and the six sense doors. And tonight we're gonna look at the 
at one of the beautiful lists of the Buddha, the seven factors of awakening, which I was trying to point to a little bit at the end of the meditation. I'm not sure if that went out or not on the audio. Okay, it did. Thank you, Fahad. Um, <clears throat> and they're often called the beautiful states of mind or beautiful qualities of heart and mind. And there are seven factors, and the seven factors are, are overseen by mindfulness. So mindfulness is always um, on top, or the balancing factor between the first three and the second three uh, components of the seven factors. Mindfulness is the first factor, and then there are three arousing factors, or three uplifting qualities of heart and mind, and then there are three um, uh, stabilizing or grounding qualities of heart and mind. I was listening to a friend of mine talk about it, and he was calling it pacifying. I didn't like that that word at all. I don't think of it that way. But I like grounding or stabilizing or centering qualities of heart and mind. And of course, the three arousing factors are, are investigation, energy, and joy. And, uh, and, uh, I was, I was reading something Analyo said about the seven factors, and he called them, he said the, the, these three factors, investigation, energy, joy, he calls, they create joyfully sustained interest. Joyfully sustained interest. And, and you know it when they're there, especially on long retreat or, or a retreat, a silent retreat. It's like, oh, you're just there and you're interested in each moment. And each moment is good, whatever is happening. And it's very, um, there's energy, easy energy, and there's curiosity about what is this, not intellectual curiosity, but kinesthetics, you know, somatic, energetic curiosity. And then there's a kind of pleasure or joy and just being, because you're really there in each moment. And it also can happen in daily life, although it's harder, we get more distracted, so we don't focus in the same way, or it's not sustained in the same way. Um, but so the three arousing or uplifting factors are investigation, energy, joy, and then the three stabilizing or grounding qualities of heart or mind is tranquility, samadhi, or and equanimity. And uh, Analyo called these, these were the calmly, these bring a calmly composed balance. Calmly composed balance. I, I like some of his language. He has a certain um, meditative poetry that he speaks from. And he's a good meditator, so he knows what he's talking about, in my opinion. And... Um, yeah, and so tranquility sometimes called calm, and I'll say more about each of these, and samadhi, and then equanimity. And uh, we'll quickly, not too quickly, but we'll go through the seven factors. And so as I was saying, mindfulness, um, I'm thinking of it as overarching, but also you could consider it the root of all the other factors. It's really the 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 
the roots like of a tree and then a tree may go out in every direction, the different limbs and flowers and everything that's on it, the birds and things like that, the insects, but the root, it, we know the depth is the root and that's mindfulness is the root. And it really, um, it's a little bit like the conductor of the other factors because it, it's the one that in its, in its awareness, it determines what's here and what's not here, what's needed, what's not needed, um, and, and also how to nourish those or how to support the rising of the, of, of the different factors. And mindfulness is, as you know, and we've been looking at in different forms this whole time, is really learning how to cultivate a receptive, open, awake presence and really i could stop there that's the whole show open um uh a kind of awake receptive meaning part of being open is it's receptive and the presence here is not like this it's it's here we're here and we're not somewhere else. We're not two places at once. We're not doing two things at once. We're here. And so that kind of mindfulness is really supportive of everything we're doing. It's key to what we're doing. And it's the awareness that is knowing the content of awareness and knows awareness itself that we start to see that there's what's being known by awareness and that's what's knowing what awareness knows. Um, yeah. I think I have this somewhere. Let's see. Hmm. No, I'm not seeing what I'm looking for. Um, yeah, there was something one of my teachers said a long time ago, I'm trying to remember it now. Awareness, uh, mindfulness is awareness being aware of what it's aware of. Okay, that's close to what he said. Aware, uh, mindfulness is awareness being aware of what it's aware of. Something like that. Um, and it's really part of all of Buddhist teaching, mindfulness. This is a really nice, beautiful poem from Noshul Ken Rinpoche in the Tibetan tradition. He said, mindfulness is the root of the Dharma. Mindfulness is the root of the Dharma. Mindfulness is the body of practice. Mindfulness is the fortress of the mind. Mindfulness is the aid to the wisdom of innate wakefulness. Without mindfulness and presence of mind, nothing can be accomplished. Dear friends, please be mindful. By the aspirations of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, may all Dharma friends attain stable mindfulness and ascend the throne of perfect awakening. Noshul Ken Rinpoche. So mindfulness, however you want to see it, the overarching conductor, the root of practice, 
of, of the seven factors uh, is key. Is, is, you know, if it was a circle of the, the seven factors, mindfulness would be in the middle and then the six fan factors, would, other factors would be in the circle. And they're all part of one thing. So the second factor is investigation of the Dharma, which I personally love. I always uh, so appreciate that that's been included as part of what we're doing here in Satipatthana practice um, <clears throat> and the seven factors and what it is, what, what is needed. Here's an important part of the seven factors. Seven factors are really pointing at what's needed to wake up and what's here when we wake up. Okay, I'm gonna say that again. The seven factors are what's needed and what we wanna cultivate in order to wake up. And when we wake up, what we see are the seven factors are alive fully. And fully doesn't mean like a movie, it might be very subtly or sublimely, but they're here and, they're, and we're not doing them. They're doing themselves. Okay, so investigation. Investigation is about investigation of reality, of what's here, of what's sitting in your seat. Who are you? What are you? Is the great Zen question. And what are you or what is this? Right? Because this is where the Dharma is. And to be curious about it is key to be interested and curious, to wonder, to, to be open to discovering, to be open to not knowing and then discovering by being present with is key. Some of the ways this uh, second factor is talked about in Buddhism is it's about the investigation of truth or discrimination of the dharmas or uh, my favorite is truth discerning wisdom. It's about truth discerning wisdom. It's about truth itself discerning or clarifying or understanding wisdom of what's here. And my friend Joseph Goldstein, he used to say, he said, oh yeah, this is about knowing what's what, right? Which is a very simple, direct way. Kind of East Coast, Joseph lives on the East Coast. So, so, you know, so that's what we're doing, this investigation of reality of this moment. And of course, Sayadaw Utejaniya, who's a great Burmese teacher who I like very much, he says, as your practice develops, the mind will develop a sense of curiosity, a natural tendency to investigate. As your practice develops, the mind will develop a, curi a sense of curiosity, a natural tendency to investigate. And Utejaniya goes on to say, curiosity is an expression of wisdom. And that's beautiful, it makes it so simple. And so here, when we're curious, something good is happening and something good is happening in our practice when we're curious. And yeah, I have so much about uh, inquiry, investigation, because of my love for it. Um, yeah, from a few of my friends, Stephen Batchelor, he said, inquiry, which is another way to talk about investigation, is an intense, 
focused questioning into the totality of what is unfolding at any given moment. It is the engine that drives awareness into the heart of what is unknown. And so we can keep discovering reality, which is, in my experience, my opinion, my experience, totally fascinating, wild, you know, unknowable. There's so much to know, it'll never be known. And there's more to discover all the time. Something I like about Utejani also, he knows that. He talks about that too in a more Burmese Buddhist way, right? He's always wants to learn and understand. And that's, that's what practice is about. And this is from my friend, teacher, Hamid Ali. He said, you are simply, that practice means to simply be aware and curious You love to know and feel reality fully and clearly. You're happy to know reality as deeply and as precisely as possible. If experience is not clear, you are simply curious about it. Openness to experience becomes dynamic, challenging experience to reveal its truth. Challenging reality to reveal its truth. And we're not challenging it like it's in a sword fight. We're challenging it with our devotion, with our ardency, with our presence. Like we want to see what is this. And then the next component uh, is energy, sometimes translated as effort right? Energy. And um, well, again, this is from Utejaniya. He said, right effort means to keep reminding yourself to be aware. So this is something you can do right now is you can keep reminding yourself to be aware. And of course, aware like mindful means to be aware of what you're aware of and be aware of what it is that is aware, right? Feel, feel the consciousness that's aware, that's sitting right here. And when I say feel it, don't, don't try too hard. Relax, you'll have an easier time knowing it in a relaxed way. So again, Tejani, right effort means to keep reminding yourself to be aware. Right effort is persistent effort. Like that's the kind of energy we want to be a little bit persistent. It is not energy used to focus hard on something. It is, simp- it is effort simple, simply directed at remaining aware. The effort to remain aware and know that we're aware. It is not difficult to be aware or mindful. It is difficult to maintain it continuously. And again, he was a householder for most of his life and practiced diligently in his store and and had a lot of awakening as a merchant in Burma. He said, right, and he said, it is not difficult to be aware or mindful. It is difficult to maintain it continuously for this you need right effort which is simply perseverance you need right effort to be aware 
And so the persistence or the continuously continuous engagement with practice. Um, and what's, what's kind of cool about it, in my opinion, is once you get that, that starts to light up, you don't have to do it all the time. You're just nourishing the, the causes and conditions that allow that to start to happen. And then you're, you're just aware and you know you're aware and you're, you're surprised when you're not aware that you're aware, right? Because you're right here and, and you're always aware. So, and then another, the other of the, of the arousing factors, a third of the arousing factors is pity or, or often translated as rapture or joy. And I like joy as a, as a good translation. And it's about a happy interest and an enjoyable interest in the moment and a genuine joy uh, in being in the moment or, and it's, it's not like joy, like you're rattling the great bells of, you know, New Year's Eve or something like that. It's like, it's enjoyment of actually being here and being yourself and being real and being with what's true and not just caught in what's true, not clinging to anything in this world, including our thoughts or feelings or the, or coronavirus right let's not cling to coronavirus it's horrendous and it's tragic and it's difficult what's happening and it's also practice for us right now because that's our reality and having to be in the house like uh, maybe some of you find that unpleasant some of the time right i would think i find it unpleasant some of the time you know it's Sometimes it's pleasant, sometimes it's unpleasant, sometimes it's neither pleasant nor unpleasant. But it's part of practice having to be in one place most of the time. And so joy, the joy of the foundations of the uh, seven factors is really the joy, uh, genuine joy of being in the present moment. And it's a subtle pleasure of being present, being here. And on retreat, it's easier to see often because it's so simple, right? You're just sitting there with your body, heart, mind. And most of us are just trying to get our mind to stop chatting away at us the whole time or talking to us or, or to get comfortable there. And then all of a sudden, it, like we just land and, or something relaxes. And it's so pleasant just to be here. And then it gets interesting. And then the curiosity arises, okay, what is this? What's here? And then there's a kind of um, investigative component and um, really the, the, the enjoyment and the energy starts to light us up by itself. We're not doing it so much. Okay. And, um, um, yeah, so, and then the joy comes of just being, simply being who and what we are, which is, you know, in my opinion, beautiful. And of course, in your meditation practice, it can be any point where we're really there. And like, I did a lot of practice with the breath for many years, and I got to just love the breath. 
I mean, just love it. Like, oh, there was nothing better than a breath. And it was enjoyable, delightful. Ajahn Brahm, who I, who I hosted once at SFI, he, he talked about discovering the beautiful breath. And if you discover it, you know it, and you never forget it. It's like having a beautiful lover. Whether they're there or not, you remember them the whole time, and you enjoy them. And then on the others, so those were the three arousing factors, and now the three calming factors or the three stabilizing factors is uh, tranquility, which is a kind of ease or serenity or relaxation or calm that can come when we're here and we're not working too hard. We're just here, right? There's a growing contentment with being here. The joy brings a kind of contentment and more relaxation. We don't have to go somewhere to feel happy. We're, we're happy enough. And then we're here. And I, there was a beautiful uh, poem that a friend of mine read when he was teaching about this that I'm going to use from Emily Dickinson. She said, futile. Futile or futile? Is it both ways? Somebody, yeah, it's okay, thank you. Somebody's nodding their head. Futile. Futile, the winds. Futile, the winds. To a heart in, in port, I'm going to say this a few times. Futile, the winds to a heart in port, done with the compass, done with the chart, rowing in Eden. Okay, I'm going to say it again. And I'll I'll say a little, I'll give context. Remember, Emily Dickinson wrote in the uh, 19th century, the 1800s, right? And, uh, and so she's using some words that are more associated, especially if you were a sailor, right? You use a compass and a chart means map, right? It's same as map. And so she's talking about, and she lived near the water in uh, near Barrie, Massachusetts, near IMS actually. And she said, futile, the winds to a heart in port, done with the compass, done with the chart, rowing in Eden. Yes, beautiful understanding of just when we get here and we're here and there's a kind of ease and calm and serenity and relaxation and the winds can come and go. It doesn't matter. The heart is in port. We're here and the port is right here is is our embodiment of who and what we are. And so our heart is here, our chitta is here, our heart and mind is here. And we're done trying to figure it all out or do something, right? We're just kind of rowing in Eden. So the next component uh, is samadhi. And samadhi, which you know is often translated as concentration, which is okay for a translation, but I like to use other words. Samadhi's talking about the unification of body, heart, and mind, or the, uh, or the um, yeah, unified or uh, collected, a sense of being co- collected, composed, here, steady, stable, 
not distracted. We're here, and we can be here with one thing or with many things, but there's a here-ness that we describe as we call samadhi, right? And, uh, and I mean, and it's, so you might notice there is some kind of sense of a certain movement that starts with mindfulness and um, here, that starts with mindfulness and then uh, goes and then, and then the mindfulness brings, so the mindful presence, we're here, and then it brings an interest, a curiosity about what's going on. And that curiosity rouses our energy. And that energy brings a kind of joy without liveness that's here. And when the joy's here, we can relax. And so there's more tranquility. And then the tr tranquility brings a unification of consciousness that we call samadhi. And so there's thought to be a kind of progression through the seven factors that I'm just throwing into the room so you hear it and, and can consider it for yourself. And, uh, and so then often they say, what's the proximate cause of samadhi? Which you could think about, what is the proximate cause of samadhi? And most people usually think, uh, working hard or being very diligent or this and that but actually in buddhism the proximate cause of samadhi is happiness and that and yeah i see the heads shake a little um that's the considered the proximate cause and i've seen it all also in my own practice especially when i was doing a lot of samadhi practice working with the breath and when i finally got there with the breath and there was a kind of joy there, and then it got easier and easier and easier. So the kind of tranquility or calm kind of wasn't like I was doing something, but I was happy because I could just be with the breath. And I was, to be honest, in love with the breath, right? And so I knew what Ajahn Brahm talked about when he said a beautiful breath. And, um, and, uh, and so the, uh, beautiful breath that and and the joy and the delight and the happiness of being with the breath brought the samadhi came alive for me and it continued and it was a lot of joy I was <laughs> really actually it's true they work both ways I was always happy when I was with the breath and then, and then I was not so happy when I wasn't with the breath because I was very uh, devoted to the breath for a while. <clears throat> and um, some of the w things that help support our samadhi is in meditation being mindful one moment at a time, one moment after another will build samadhi. And also, if you can, if you use the noting practice, that can be supportive. If you're noting what what's happening, which is a way to bring the mind and and experience together, 
So the mind's not just going off somewhere else, but we bring the mind with the breath in, in or out or rising or falling or noticing the uh, experiences of heart and mind, thought and feeling and emotion or happy and sad. You're just naming it very quietly so that the mind is tethered to experience that's alive in reality. It's not going off on its own talking about experience. It's very simply, quietly naming the experience. And then of course, some people like to count their breaths if they're doing breath meditation and that can help support samadhi. And remember, samadhi can come with one object or many objects or a wide, a narrow focus or a wide focus. That's a better way to say it. Because I've done a lot of samadhi with the breath, which is a narrow focus, or with sound, which is a wide open kind of focus. Or with sight, actually, or with body. I've had a lot of samadhi just by being with the whole body and being totally open. And so there's different ways to cultivate samadhi. And then the last factor is equanimity which is the balance of heart and mind. And it's heart and mind that's not, uh, uh, that sees clearly from the middle. It's the middle way factor. It's when we feel balanced, we can see, oh, we like it, we don't like it, we're happy, we're sad, but we don't lose our balance. We're right here. And that can happen even, um, <coughs> excuse me, And that can happen in the meditation practice. And that, of course, can happen in daily life. You know, we're not in control of almost anything, right? And when equanimity is here, we don't have to be in control. There's something else. There's a knowing and a presence. And it's okay. We can work with whatever's true, whatever's here. I always appreciated Trungpa Rinpoche, who lost everything in his life, meaning lost his world, his country, you know, and had to flee Tibet uh, to escape the Chinese government at that time. And, uh, and uh, he lost everything, and he had a tremendous equanimity. He, he just said, everything is workable. Everything is workable. And so the last component, equanimity, has a kind of uh, peace to it, you know, that, that uh, the Dalai Lama talked about. He says, if you have inner peace, the external problems do not affect your sense of inner peace and tranquility. And of course, the Buddha said, peace is the highest happiness. So it's pointing at the awakening of the awakening factors right? And because that's how awakening is understood, one of the ways awakening is understood in, uh, in Buddhism is peace. So I think I'm going to stop there. Time for questions, comments, reactions, interests, right? I'd love to hear from you. I always think it's the, it just, everything comes alive when your voices come alive in the room.
And uh, I think what I'll do, I think I can do this. Let me see if I can do this. I'm gonna, uh, no. I'm gonna allow you to unmute yourself if you wanna speak, but Allison's there. I'm gonna make sure you're unmuted, Allison. Please, Allison. Hi, thank you. Welcome. Whenever I um, hear or you know read about the um, seven factors, I keep being hearing echoes of the jhana factors, and it almost takes the same chorus. The jhana factors, you know, being uh, PT, rapture, sukha, joy, contentment, and tranquility, or um, equanimity, mm -hmm. the first four jhanas. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess this, that's, that's, that's just what I think of whenever I hear these, you know, the, the factors, I see them play out in terms of the jhanas. And it is a natural kind of almost physiological logic to it. You start off with rapture, then you come down to joy, which is less excited. I, 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 would, I would suggest a slightly different order to what you're pointing at. Even in the jhanas, you actually start off with mindfulness. This is absolutely true. Yes, right. you need and, mindfulness. And, you can't do it without that. Right, you you're can't right. do it. The investigation is not so strong in the, in the jhanas, uh, although you may need some investigation to see what's obscuring your presence becoming unified with the experience. Right. And so and you're yeah. applying the mindfulness in order to let go of the previous jhanas factor, you know, uh -huh. you're letting go of the rapture because it's too intense. And when you let go of it, then so you have to be mindful throughout because you have to yeah. know where you are. That's, that's that. really good. I'm glad you're saying that because sometimes people think there's a difference between uh, samadhi and, um, and mindfulness. And I don't think that way. And yeah. yet the jhanas have their pluses and minuses like anything that we can get attached to, right? So that's the one thing you want to be a little careful, which I was not so careful when I was young. I got totally attached to the jhanas, and, but it's okay. You see that they're dukkha also. <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> and I, don't I still that. can't see the dukkha of jhana yet. <laughs> uh -huh. Well, the, the, the only dukkha is getting attached to them. And exactly. Then, I yeah. mean, um, but, uh, well, not, and also thinking you have to do them. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. Right. Unfortunately, I, I got to a point where I couldn't do anything but. Yeah. And so I was on retreat and I was practicing with the jhanas and I said, okay, I'm going to let go of the jhanas. It was right. very hard. No, Not no. because I desired them, just because it just became natural. I stood right. on the cushion right. 20 minutes <laughs> later. On yeah, no, I understand. It's very, it's beautiful to see how the heart and mind loves to be composed in that way and collected yeah. in that way. And I like what Ajahn Brahm says about it. You know, you, you know, people, you know, in, you know, Shankman's book on Samadhi. Uh, I don't know. Asked him, I've, I've never read it. I know Richard, but I never read it. Yeah. Book. Richard yeah. Shankman, Shankman asks uh, Ajahn Brahm, you know, are we supposed to be 
cautious about the jhanas and Ajahn Brahm says, no, no, these are <laughs> yeah. wholesome states, yeah. you know? they are. Um, so that's, anyway, but again, the, the seven factors and the factors of the jhanas, uh, lots of resonance there uh -huh. for me. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense, yeah. Okay, thank you. Okay, now I'm learning not to always say the name because I don't know if it's Don or Heather. It's Don. Oh, hi, Don. <laughs> okay. Hey, hi, Don. hey, so I've got a, a couple questions. I was wondering if you could um, help clarify for me. The first is around energy, and I'm wondering how does Sam Vega fit in with that? Is that just... Um, how does what? Sam Vega? San Vega? Urgency? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In terms of of the, of the energy of trying to move as quickly as you can towards um, um, maybe enlightenment, if I understand it right. But I was just wondering. Uh, I think that's a it's something that helps um, fire us up, Samvega, which is a certain kind of urgency of practice that that Don is pointing at that is pointed at a lot in Buddhist practice, right? And, but the energy that we're talking about, the seven factors, is a much more relaxed energy. It's, it's not something we have to do. It's there. The, some vega may light it up, and then it relaxes, and it just does itself. We're not doing it. Okay. 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 And then I'm also wondering about how does wisdom play in with um, the seven factors? Like understanding, uh, for example, impermanence kind of feeds into equanimity, right? There's a certain part of like understanding the wisdom uh, and the truthfulness or the reality of impermanence and that w having that wisdom. How does, how does wisdom play into the the factors of awakening or what, what sort of relation if any, is there? Well, I think we could say, I'm just improvising here with you about that, but about this, which is that the seven factors, um, the, the nourishing of the seven factors is wise because it, it leads to awakening. And then the maturation of the seven factors, wisdom is alive itself. That makes yeah. sense. How I yeah. said that, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 and that's really, really good because you know, um, wisdom is is it's wise to so it's a certain level of wisdom to um, to learn about and then recognize and nourish the different factors, and then at a certain level we stop when different levels of realization starts to happen, the seven factors come alive and we're not doing them. And there's a wisdom that is there that is yeah. part of the presence of the whole schema. Okay. Okay. I got that. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Lisa. Yeah. I'm Hi. Interested in um, practicing awareness of awareness, and um, so like right now I'm seeing you on the screen. I'm aware of that, 
I'm sort of also aware that I'm aware of seeing you. Mm-hmm. And when I sit in the morning, when I sit and I do that, um, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty smooth and fairly easy to maintain that kind of dual lens of noticing experiences. I'm sitting there with my eyes closed, you know, mm-hmm. sounds mm-hmm. being from outside. I've got, you know, not much going on, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My thoughts will come and I'll notice, oh, that's thinking and not really dwell on them. And occasionally I'll notice the quality of the thought, whether it's, you know, reaching, desiring, or, you know, you know, want to push it away. But Mostly I'm just sort of letting them come and go and I'm sitting. Then I get off the ground and I start my day and I, I uh, usually if I'm lucky, I can go for a run in the morning and mm-hmm. then I'm more active and mm-hmm. I'm practicing, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm sure. running and I'm, my feet are, I feel, okay, I'm running, my legs are moving and I'm aware that my legs are moving. And then, you know, you start seeing things, the mind starts waking up more and thinking things and, Okay, you're running, you're thinking, you're mm-hmm. seeing, don't trip over that thing over there. And then you start going up a hill and it's like hard. Mm-hmm. Oh, unpleasant, unpleasant. And then I start thinking, more. you know, I get kind of sucked into that. And it's the toggling back and forth between awareness of Billy unpleasant and the awareness is experiencing the unpleasant difficulty of running up the hill. The awareness of the awareness. The awareness that's now, so I'm aware of unpleasantness, right? Right. <laughs> right. I Got it. Breathe. My legs hurt. I don't know if I can get up the hill. Then the the, the awareness is seeing that and saying mm-hmm. unpleasant. Yeah. So so and I have to work with it. I'm just like trying toggling back and forth and I'm finding it a little difficult to not get caught in just the unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, get caught in it. But be aware of it. It's just unpleasant. It's like it's a toggle back and forth, isn't it? Yeah, but you know, you know, so that's a piece we want to play with a little. Let's play with it for a second. So yeah. are you seeing are you aware of seeing right now? I see you, yeah. Right? And be aware of what is seeing me. I, I wear you're wearing a black shirt, you got a skeleton. No, no, no. I'm not asking that. Yeah. I, I believe you. Yeah. It looks right, like right, right. Okay. So that's the one level, right? Right, right. So that's one you see. That's what is you, you, you are aware of. Now right. be, be aware of what's aware of that. Right, right. Right. Okay. I can do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you don't have to stop what, what, you know, whether you like the black shirt or not, you don't have to stop that. You can They feel like, like they compete in my mind for space sometimes. Like the, the well, black who, shirt wants to take over. From being aware of the of me seeing the black shirt. Uh huh. So, but you, there's another component you might want to be aware of, which is the me who thinks she's aware. And that gets interesting because, of yeah, course, you know, in one way we can I can say, oh yeah, I'm aware of you. I'm aware of you know. But then I see, oh, I'm aware of the screen. Oh, I'm aware of the room, and then the awareness is here, and it's all true. Right. And 
I, I can like the room or not, or the space or not, or the light or the way I look on the screen. I see myself up there also in the corner, right? But, but so what? Right. But it's, it's like a mental, you know, it is expanding, contracting it. It's like an exercise. It's getting used to running uphill. Only you're running up a Buddhist hill called the Seven Factors right. Awakening. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I just, you know, it it feels like a, it is a muscle that you're working and training as much as the one that's trying to get take your body up the hill. You know, uh -huh. uh -huh. kind of I, working out too. Uh huh. Okay. I would. I that's. I get that. And also, you might look for another metaphor other than muscle. Even yeah. though I, I love yeah. that myself, because I like... No, it, it doesn't take anything. It's always there, right? Right, like, yeah. Right. Right. And but so it's that, turning toward it. I mean, why is it that sometimes it's harder to... Like, you're on retreat, it's easier to turn toward it. And it would be... Well, uh, that's a great question. So to let it in. And, you know, when you're out in the world... That's something you want to investigate. Right. What, what makes it easier on retreat? Right. Except everything is set up for, to support that. On right. retreat, and not everybody is practicing like you are when you're running around San Francisco. Everybody's doing what they're doing, which is I don't even know what people are doing these days. Nobody out there. Don't even. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, no, there are some people out there, but but or, or even and, and so really, what I'm suggesting is, let's see. There's something that you're uh, you're hoping for that's underneath your question or your comments, and so you might feel that and let that be here fully. Does that make sense? What I'm pointing at? Yeah, that's interesting. I. Good. Remember, interest is part that. of that. I hadn't considered that there was a, a desire there. Yeah, and and it, it could be a very good desire. Remember, not all desire is bad, right? right? The the Buddha. No, it feels like a wholesome desire. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And so keep that. That's where you your practices this week is to investigate that. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay. Um, Miru. Oh, oh, there, there we go. Miru. Hi, there you are. Hi. Hi. Um, I, I have. Um, studied the seven factors a while ago and uh, I was so good to revisit it today and thank you for the great dharma and I was I have the question I have is what's after equanimity as in and I, I have a my own sort of hypothesis uh, and I, I don't know if it is correct so I want to ask you so Please, I'm as, happy you, to hear. as you go through that I, I feel that the, the end point that we come to with equanimity is love Kind of state of love, uh -huh. um, and it's not the erotic love. It's about uh -huh. 
you, you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. you don't, um, everything, you can accept everything, almost embrace everything, that kind of thing. And, but it's not necessarily giving up your preferences. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, is, is that is a fair understanding? Uh, totally fair understanding. I, lo- I love your understanding. How's that? Thank you. <laughs> uh, um, really? No, I love that. And it's not the only understanding. Mm. That's the key. And but I love what you're saying and I love love. I mean I mean really is is not what are we doing here if we're not learning how to love and let the love let let us love ourselves and one another, right? Yeah. And and that is possible actually. And so that kind of understanding of culmination of the seven factors, I'm good with that. And it's not the only culmination. It's yeah. one of the, uh, might be uh, a few or many different potentials for what wakes up, right? Because yeah. that's where we're headed. It's all, all of Satipatthana is about, right? It's, you know, um, the Venerable Analyo's first book on Satipatthana is called The Direct Path to Awakening or to Realization, right? It's, that's what it's about. And love is part of that, mm-hmm. for sure. And uh, one other co- ex- uh, extra comment on that is, um, if so, uh, so I read that the, the book that you talked about a while ago, In Love with the World. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and... I, I was kind of connecting with that. I, I didn't understand why he named that book that way, but now I feel like that's why he named it that book as in love with the world after he, what he has gone through. That's kind of probably the state he reached um, after all the craziness that happened. So Yeah, well, he, yeah. for those of you who don't know, let's just say it simply because I don't want to ruin the book for anybody. Yeah. But he let go of all his privilege. And that was a radical thing for a Tibetan uh, Rinpoche right, yeah. to do. And, uh, and he just became a wandering person in India. And it pretty wild what happened for him. And, and yeah, and he wrote a book called In Love with the World. And so, but the one piece I want to add for you, because mm-hmm. my guess is that the reason you bring love into the room is because you experience it yourself. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And so I want to encourage you to pay attention to the love itself when Mm -hmm. it's here. Not just who and what you feel love for, which will be part of it, Mm -hmm. but actually the state of consciousness we call love. Mm. Okay? Investigate there too. Yeah, investigate in a very relaxed way in a very somatic, energetic, kinesthetic investigation. Full-bodied investigation that way. And I mean, but I mean, when I say full-body, I'm talking about the subtlety of our aliveness fully. Okay, Okay. good. Sure, thank you. Um, Who's that? Jim. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Jim. Very good. Thank you. Thank you for your talk, Eugene, um, in this course. I really enjoyed it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about this uh, samadhi and also to maybe 
address a little bit what Allison talked about or what her share was about, which she mentioned. Um, and it's, you know, it's about whether samadhi in this context does mean jhana and whether having experienced the jhanas, absorption is necessary to reach that seventh factor of equanimity. And I just want to add, so I, I really wanted to experience jhana. So I went to IMS, Forest Refuge, spent almost three months there, developed, as I mentioned, this sinus issue. And I got stuck at Pasadi. I got stuck at calm. <laughs> and in fact, I would go into my interviews and I would say, my issue is being calm with this calm. Because this is as far as I got, was calm. I think I had one experience of samadhi, but not absorption in that whole three-month period. And so my brain is kind of like, well, maybe this is sort of like my yoga, you know, where I'll never be able to do the splits. I'll never be able to do half the poses in Ashtanga. But I love yoga, and I've gotten a tremendous amount out of it. But in this lifetime, I'm not going to be an Ashtanga yogi. And I'm thinking maybe in this lifetime, I'm not going to reach equanimity and full awakening. But I want to hear what you think. Uh, there are many different levels of samadhi, and jhana is only one of them. And you don't have to go into jhana to have enough samadhi and have equanimity because they're not, one really doesn't totally condition the other. They can support one another, but they don't totally condition. And who knows what'll happen? Let's see, because, um, uh, yeah, and just keep watching your mind, because um, um, you may keep thinking you're never gonna get there, just like in yoga. And that's not true. I think it's definitely true with my splits. This body ain't going to do it in this lifetime. No, that's, no it's true with your yoga. It's not true <laughs> with, with awareness, with satipatthana. Let's see what happens. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but but we'll even watch, notice your, if, if you believe it's not going to happen, that, that's not so helpful. Yeah. <laughs> so watch out to what you cling to, even your belief. Yeah, the clinging to believing it may not happen. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. okay. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> thank you. So, and we're not done yet with the class. We have one more class on Thursday. So we'll see. Maybe we'll all get awake on, on uh, Thursday because <laughs> that's where we're going. And uh, I'm told to ask a little bit for Donna. Um, and you can use a link. There's a link that Nina has sent to everyone in the chat box, right? And uh, and Donna, I mean, you all know what Donna is, generosity. Thank you for your generosity for SFI, for myself, for the class. I appreciate the support. It's helpful. Um, really, whatever you can give. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. And good to be with you all. And uh, good to keep learning, you know, more about Satipatthana. It's, it's got a lot of uh, blessings for all of us in it. And so we'll offer our good fortune that we have this time and place and this technology that we can study and learn and practice together. 
in the time of coronavirus and sending our good wishes out in every direction to every human, to every being, in every realm, in every world. May all beings be happy, peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings find their health from coronavirus. And may we all begin to realize the seven factors that lead to awakening. May the beautiful states of mind arise for all beings. May all beings be free. Thank you, everybody. Good to be with you. Take good care. I'll see you on Thursday, last class. Thank you, Dean. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.